Hi, and welcome to another episode of Dennis Podman. I'm your host, Kevin Farrigan, and joining me today for a special episode of the show is Ben Taylor from Thinking Basketball, uh, the YouTube channel, the book, which is excellent. If you don't have it, you should buy it, uh, and also um, LG35 on on Twitter uh, and uh, Real GM, I believe. <laughs> I think that's where that handle uh, originates. Yep. Um, so, so I brought that... oh, go ahead. Should I call you? Should I call you Dennis for the podcast? I've been wondering <laughs> that since you rebooted. <laughs> no, Dennis. Dennis Podman is just the, it's just the name of the show. It's uh, <laughs> it's not a um, it's not a pen name. All right. Well, nice <laughs> nice to talk to you again, Kevin. And um, hello to all the Jolly Bulls fans. At what are you six and one right now? Yep, that's right. Yeah. And we they they had a, sh- a shot at winning the uh, the one loss. Uh, they had a uh, furious comeback against the Knicks, and and just uh, if if Demar Derozan doesn't uh, fumble his gather, maybe he makes that shot, and they would be undefeated. Um, but yes, it's a it's been a great start to the year um, so far, and I honestly don't think the Bulls have have played to their fully to their capabilities in terms of um, the talent they have. So I am uh, I'm very happy, although you wouldn't have known it uh, watching the first two and a half quarters of the Celtics game uh, the, the other night or last night, I guess it was, uh, I was very upset because <laughs> they were not playing well. And then they came back. Um, but anyway, well, the reason some oh, of that, some of that was the, some of that was the Jays were hitting everything under the sun and then that stopped. So. Yes. Uh, yeah. They decided that uh, maybe instead of letting uh, Jalen Brown uh, dribble into um, three pointers with one guy on him, uh, that they would double team him uh, and Jason Tatum uh, every time they touch the ball and count on the rest of the Celtics not being able to do anything. And th- that seemed to work very well. <laughs> it was a good strategy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it worked out. Um, so the reason that Ben is on the show today is uh you know Ben's YouTube channel. He does all these uh, really great deep dives um, of s- scouting uh, with tape, and also um, his own statistical uh, formulas to uh, really get in uh, to the nuance of um, various different players. And uh, he recently, uh, as in yesterday, posted a video of our own Zach Levine. Um, and I wanted to get Ben on to uh, pick his brain, and also just because I like to talk to Ben uh, when I can. <laughs> and so I roped him in uh, for the show, and uh, I'm excited to talk about the video. I guess I'll just start with with sort of the the big broad question of uh, when you were started to to dive into to Zach's game. Um, was there anything that really surprised you? I mean, I know you watch a lot, so I, I don't know that you're going to be super surprised by anything. Um, but was there anything under the hood there that that uh, kind of stood out to you? Well, sometimes it's a data thing. And so for me, it was just how good of a shooter he was. Mm-hmm. And I, I think this is a... I was thinking about this because of how he plays and because of the era we're in and how surprising it was to me that he is like kind of relative to history, uh, an extreme player in terms of um, rim and three-point shooting profile, what we would think of as like Maury ball, right? And that's one of those things where you watch and you watch and you watch and your brain can't really calibrate how much that's happening until you look at the numbers. And then the cool historical thing for me that was kind of surprising is thinking about how 20 years ago, his athleticism and that type of shot and even the type of prospect he would have been as he was coming through school would have been about the mid-range. And instead, Mm -hmm. his jumper now is really, yeah, he he takes some mid-range jumpers and 
every once in a while he'll get in the paint and throw in a fade or a step back and off that handoff action that's in the video he will take some long twos but for the most part he's slinging that thing from like 25 27 28 feet kind of in a way that you would have a guy like that shoot from 16 feet in the old days so that was the thing that kind of stood out to me the most in terms of a surprise and also it's just really damn cool i think about his game yeah no i mean he's he's been shockingly good as a shooter i i knew that he had like a good jump shot when the bulls traded for him um you know i, I have to admit and i I've talked about this, I think, on the show before, but when the Bulls made the Jimmy Butler trade, I was irate. <laughs> and uh, the only thing that has made that trade even somewhat redeemable has been uh, Zach's uh, continuous improvement every single year. I certainly didn't see this for him, especially, you know, he was a guy that was uh, very reliant on his athleticism earlier in his career, and he was coming off a torn ACL, and I was just like, man, <laughs> like, what? how is this guy going to deliver anything close to, um, you know, the value of Jimmy Butler in his, in his prime? And, and I don't think that he's quite gotten there, but um, he's made a heck of an effort at it. Uh, and yeah, the his shooting is, is really unbelievable. Some of the distances that he um, launches the ball from, and even just how he's able to... Um, like he has a he jumps pretty high on his jump shot. He's not one of these guys that uh, shoots like kind of a set shot. Like James Harden, I think when he does like his sidestep or whatever, he's usually not getting much elevation when he shoots it. Um, but Zach really uh, not quite. I don't think quite to the degree of, of like a Ray Allen, but like he gets up there. Um, I don't know if that if if you agree with that, but I, that's one of the things that always stands out to me about him is like how much lift he gets on his. Uh, on his jumper, um, and it really does allow for him to to shoot from kind of all over. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, no, I know. Com- I completely agree with that. Um, that it's funny you mentioned that ACL because it's probably different for Bulls fans when you when you go through the growing with a player, and now you finally have a team this year that is back, sort of in the public eye, and and he so he comes over right, and he's got this injury. And one thing that I didn't really realize that that hit me, and there's so many things when you make a video like this that get cut, but uh, I had this sort of like exclamation mark at some point of like, young Zach Levine is in his eighth season. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> I was yeah. like, wait, wait, when did when did that happen? And I yeah, think, we're getting old, Ben. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, <laughs> the ship has sailed on that one. Um, but but like, I think that injury. So you have the trade, and you have the injury. And at least for me, with young players, sometimes you get lost in the shuffle. And and in researching some of that period for the video and trying to go back and and sort of rediscover things, uh, I I would find these pieces of like the twenty five best players under twenty five, and he wasn't included on one of them. And there was a media cycle around it, and he did a bunch of quotes and interviews. And he's just like, that's that's crazy. Like they they forgot about me. Doesn't matter. I'm just going to keep going and put my head down. By the way, there are some incredible quotes about Dennis Smith Jr. If you want to Google a similar um, query about 25 under 25, but I digress. Like (laughs) 2019, that for me, and I think you noticed this at some point or, or we talked on Twitter about it or something, but like his first step and just the way he physically looked. And that was, of course, the year that that he popped up to like 24 points per game in Chicago. But 
that caught my eye. And it's one of those things where when you come off an injury, when you've been in a trade, when all of a sudden you're in like your fifth year and they forgot about you, that's when it started for me. So in a way, this video covered like four seasons um, in my mind, because I, I think I was thinking about making a video on him in 2019, just based on that first step. And then even mm -hmm. seeing now in the last few years, the evolution of the game from that to kind of continue to get better and better and better and stack skills kind of in this linear fashion on top of each other year after year to now to the point where I think this year if the Bulls, one, I think this is probably going to be his peak season. And two, I think if the Bulls do really well record-wise, um, you will see talk of him on an all-NBA team. I hope so. I mean, especially for his, like, I know he's got the extension uh, eligibility coming up. And, you know, I I give Zach a lot of credit because, um, you know, I, I think a lot of people did write him off. And I, I, you know, will raise my hand. I was one of those people. He, he was very raw as a, as a prospect coming in. I mean, he had a lot of um, athletic ability, obviously. He, he was very skinny when he came into the league. Um, but, you know, he spent a lot of time uh, on a bad Timberwolves team. Um, and for an organization that, you know, frankly, hasn't had a very good uh, run of it with developing uh, guys and getting the most out of them. And he gets traded to Chicago. And in this post Jimmy Butler era, <laughs> they also didn't have uh, much of much luck really developing guys. Um, you know, Larry Markkinen is, is gone and uh, Wendell Carter is also gone. Uh, and Kobe White has been a little bit stagnant. Uh, but Zach seems to come back better every single year. Um, and he just, everything that I've read about him, uh, people talking about him, uh, you know, talking to people that are in and, around, in and around the league, everybody says that that guy works as hard as anybody else in the league. Yep. Um, and so, and you can see it, right? Like it's, it's one thing to, to be a guy that uh, talks about work um, and you, you can work really hard, but if you're not doing it in ways that are smart or ways that um, build your skills, like you said, sort of stacking them on top of each other, it's not going to be as effective. Uh, but Zach has been really, really good at uh, leveraging his physical gifts um, into making himself a, a more impactful player. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I have to give uh, a ton of credit to him for that. Uh, but yeah, it's he, he's been remarkable to watch. And I, I he's what, like 26 this year or is yeah. he 27? Yeah, yeah it's, so, his, it's his 26 year old season. He's going to turn 27 in March, I think. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, he's got one of those weird birthdays where like the... Uh, basketball reference his age is uh kind of makes him seem slightly younger than he really is i guess because they i think they go by february yep february um, first cut off yeah yeah i mean you got to cut it off somewhere but because of when his birthday is it it ends up being a little weird but yeah i mean that makes sense that this would be his peak season um i mean i think he still has uh development areas actually that's one of the things i wanted to ask you about is like um well before yeah. we do that let me okay. let me say because uh, you mentioned his effort I think another thing that surprised me a little bit was he was better. You know, defense is one of those things that you can have kind of, I think, more variations in what you used to think once you go under the hood. So you like go under the hood and you're like, oh, huh, this player is really weak at this or this player's actually really good at this um, or they have this reputation and yet their weak side help is always early or something like that. Mm -hmm. So 
in his case, I think one of the things that surprised me defensively is the effort is there on most plays. Yep. And and that's always a good indicator, especially when you're that athletic. And like, I do think there are some things that I point out in the video that will prevent him from ever being great in certain areas. Um, mm-hmm. I just think his, his north-south plane athleticism is so far ahead of his horizontal plane athleticism. Now, some of that is because he's so good in the north-south plane. Um, but that, you know, makes certain elements of defense trickier. But when you when you watch the film, and again, I have clips from multiple seasons here. A lot of it was from the end of the 2021 season and then pulling everything we could at the beginning of this season, uh, which is, of course, post-Olympics. Like, the effort is there on most plays. And he's not a guy who really has a lot of, like, huge breakdowns, glaring black marks, um, what would be dubbed laziness, things like that. And so I think that was another positive surprise for me of, like, Huh, you know, like there are, there are challenges with him defensively, but mm-hmm. especially on especially with Billy Donovan and some of the other guys they have out there, um unfortunately, you know, no no more Patrick Williams, but like no, I don't think they're going to be a problem defensively. He's not, he's not going to be a a guy defensively holding them back significantly, even if at the end of the year he has the same kind of like negative plus minus impact numbers that estimate those things. That was that was a more positive thing than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that um, that's something I've been <laughs> loudly yelling about on Twitter for a while is that Zach Levine, to me, is, is uh, I would say he's maybe, and maybe I, I can get your take on this, I think he's a slightly below average defender uh, at this point, uh, but hes I don't think he's bad. Um, yeah. I, I think that people have said that uh, a lot of the analysis of the Bulls before the start of the season, you know, talking about how bad the defense was going to be. I think one of it, one thing was, is that it ignored Billy Donovan's track record. But I think the other thing was, is that there was an assumption that Zach Levine is as bad a defender as uh, somebody like DeMar DeRozan has been historically. Um, And, uh, and I even think that DeMar has been a little bit better uh, in seven games for the Bulls so far. I mean, granted, obviously very small sample and, you know, everything's good until it's not but um but he also doesn't have to do as much right and and, you know that's part of i think what's interesting about levine is that he his shooting skills his movement skills his cutting skills his effort on defense those are all things that lend themselves to hey i've got a coach and i've got better teammates and we're going to win 50 or 55 games I'm, i'm gonna have value when i when i you know am out there on the court in the way i normally have value because i don't have to change anything in demar's Mm -hmm. case you may be able to squeeze a little bit more defensively out of him because he doesn't have to carry the same kind of offensive load on this team. So anyway, I cut you off, but I mean, no, I think, no, you're, you're fine. I think that, that's a great point. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I, I just thought that there was a lot of it was the, the defensive analysis of the bulls was based on this idea that, that Zach is um, a hugely negative impact defender. And uh, I think I probably have him maybe as like a 40th percentile defender. Uh, yeah. I don't know if, if that's, that was, sounds that's, right to you. That sounds about right. I mean, I still had him as a slight negative, but um, you know, it's hard for guards sometimes to be really good defensively. So I'm not really sure where the median even shakes out in my head. But that feels about right. He's he's probably a slight negative, maybe slightly below average. But I again, I had the same takeaway. Like I did not come away thinking that there was much evidence that you could really call him bad or a problem. Um, and I even think, you know, Vooch, who's probably the biggest weak point, and that'll be something that comes back up in the playoffs. I think in the regular season, when you surround him with some of these guys, uh, you know, I just don't think you're going to have like this disastrous defense that people forecasted. 
Yeah, well, I mean, the, one of the things I think that the Bulls have really focused on um, early is that they've been trying to make sure that they get their hands on as many balls before they they get to the rim to mm. for Vooch to have to um, to have to do a rim contest because that is obviously not his his strong point. Uh, but they have been forcing um, turnovers. They've been uh, getting disruptions through deflections. Um, they've been really flying around, and I think that that's been obviously a, a very conscious decision. Um, and and they've been honestly sacrificing some of their rebounding position and even just size on the glass to do it. Um, and I think that the way that Billy Donovan has talked about it in um, sort of post game, when he's asked about, you know, you know, we're getting killed on the glass. What, what do you think? He kind of seems like he's like, yeah, I understand people are uh, concerned with that, but like, he seems like he's fine with living with that. And I mean, they're six and one <laughs> and they had a chance to win their only loss. So like, I, I think that it's very much a calculated risk that they're taking. And yeah, I mean, in the playoffs, maybe that becomes uh, a problem, but um, I think that they're more concerned with getting to the playoffs and, and building a, a base of, of winning. Um, right. And, you know, I think sometimes the winning culture stuff is a little overstated, uh, by um some part of the basketball watching public but i think that there Mm -hmm. i think there is something to it um because i I don't think that you can just go from losing and losing and losing to okay all of a sudden we're gonna be um you know a great team uh i mean the the closest example of like being terrible for a long time and then immediately leaping to like being a 50 win team is basically the process sixers i think and even they they've won you know, a bunch of first round series, but they haven't gotten any further than that. And I'm not saying that that's like, you know, that those things are necessarily related. Um, but it's just, I, I think that it, there is something to building um, sort of gradually, incrementally, uh, and, and not necessarily <laughs> trying to be as bad as possible. <laughs> and then, you know, getting good of, on the other, uh, on the back end. Yeah, I think especially with young guys, there's, there's some truth mm-hmm. in that. And I think, it probably goes back to the concept of scaling up on better teams that I talk about a lot. Like if you are constantly bad and you're constantly just rolling guys out there who for 20 or 30 games, three guys have the green light and then someone gets traded or is injured. And then another three guys have the green light and you cycle through this. I think then you fall into the trap of everyone thinking they're a 20 point scorer versus figuring out all the different ways to provide value and win. And I think you see that with this bulls team where Lonzo seems like such a great fit. Caruso is a great fit. When you put them together, they're terrorizing teams, but without scoring. I mean, the two of them combined, uh, looking it up right now after seven games, average 20 points a game. That's never going to be their thing. But Mm -hmm. pushing pace, forcing turnovers, transition, switchable defense. I mean, Billy's doing stuff like having Lonzo guard bigs in the post because he's strong enough. Um, Hello, that's kind of awesome. Like, this is the kind of stuff that when you're on a 25 win team and you're trotting the same, you know, kind of circling through guys who want to be scorers and develop step backs. I don't think you ever get to that. So that's kind of my thinking about where that matters, um, you know, versus just some general abstract idea. I think it gets real when you actually have to go and be like, what's it like to play on a top five defense? Like, what's that look like? Right. What's it like to play with two 20 point scorers? and have to be a part of that offense? How do you construct an offense around that? So on and so forth. Yeah, no, I think that that makes, uh, that makes a ton of sense. And yeah, I mean, I, 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 I think I said this on one of the early episodes of the show, um, the 
well, the rebooted version of the show, um, that <laughs> I think that from a development perspective, I think that, um, you know, obviously you're, if a player is going to an organization that is winning, then that's going to be disproportionately, there's like a selection bias problem, right? Uh, if a like a guy like Kawhi or Jimmy Butler, they're going to teams that are already winning uh, because they're getting drafted later. Um, but I, I do think that there's maybe something to developing in a role um, on a good team, seeing what that looks like, and then growing from there. Uh, and, you know, that might be just um, confirmation bias or, or, you know, whatever. Uh, I'm sure that, I'm sure that there's some, <laughs> the old, some the old confirmation bias. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm sure there's some, uh, you know, psychological uh, explanation for why I think that, <laughs> but I, you know, I, I, I still believe it. Uh, even if I know uh, on some level that it might be cherry picking. Um, but yeah, I, I just think that the, uh, I, that's the other thing is, as far as Levine goes, is that that's interesting to me is he's managed to develop skills. And I, I think you kind of got at this towards the end of the video um, where he's become a player that scales really well on winning teams, despite, you know, basically grow, growing up as a player in nothing but bad environments on in bad teams because he is such a threat on and off the ball. Um, and he, at this point, doesn't kill you defensively. Uh, so he just provides a ton of value, I think, um, as, as the Bulls get better as a team uh, because he is so quick off the ball. You have to pay attention to him either because he's going to, uh, you know, back cut you uh, and get to get a, a dunk at the rim, or if he fakes the the back cut and then he's coming through a screen uh, and launching a wide open three, like he's just very very difficult to deal with as a scorer. And um, because he can do it on and off the ball, you can play him with somebody that is a little bit more ball dominant, like Demar Derozan, and it still works. And if anything, it works better than Zach on the ball. Yes, yeah, exactly. Um, as you mentioned uh, in the video, I mean Zach is. He's, he's improved a lot as a playmaker, I think, but he's still a pretty, uh, I think you called him a vanilla playmaker, which I, I think is is right. No, I think that's spot on. And I think it, it's one of those things where he he probably is better not having to play that large role. You know, the, the kind of influence of heliocentrism on our thought process with young players sometimes, I think gets us in a place where it's like, oh, let me lay out all the reasons that you don't want Zach to be driving, you know, a huge percentage of your offense on the ball through pick and roll through whatever he likes to get into because you're not going to have a top five offense that way. And it's like, yeah, that's Luca. That's LeBron James. That's, you know, a handful of guys at the top of the league. And the reality is everyone else has got to kind of find a way to be a hybrid, do a little on ball, do a little off ball, play off ball primarily. Those are the things that are going to be able to kind of stack as you continue to add pieces. And I think I, I agree with you. Um, I thought the chatter was a little backwards when people were saying, especially in the regular season, that like DeRozan and Levine are going to clash. When if anything, I think having Zach, the way he scores, uh, just be able to not spend all his time on ball and have someone else take up some of the the oxygen in the room. I mean, DeRozan's an interesting fit with him because he likes to do so much in between the slots, in the paint, in the middle part of the floor, around the elbows. And like, if you're going to collapse, or the Bulls have flattened out the floor for him on a, a couple of possessions um, early in the season, it's like, if you're going to collapse and you're going to leave Zach Levine open in the corner, 
he's deadly in the corner. If you're going to have some kind of motion or action around that, you're going to double team. Like you can get a back cut off that. Um, He's really deadly in that situation as well. So he's the kind of scorer that I think when you get to the playoffs, it feels like he's going to have bad games probably because his shot is off versus, oh, all we have to do is scheme up and double him a lot because he doesn't have a lot of answers because it's like, that's that's not his game and that's not this team at this point. Yeah, no, I mean, I I think one of the things that you've talked about a lot with in terms of like robustness as a as a playoff scorer is is having counters, um, yep. and I think that's one of the ways uh, you've been kind of um, I don't want to say over then you're not overly critical, but you're critical of, of James Harden's like playoff performances uh, or or his skill set, I guess, because he doesn't necessarily have as many counters as. Um, somebody like Kobe, uh, you know, well, I think. Yeah. And I, for those who don't know this, I think it's relative to the regular season numbers that. Right. Harden yes. up. Yeah. Yeah. Harden is still a very good, um, still a very good playoff performer. Uh, yeah, that's, that's not the criticism. It's that he's not the same guy that he is in the regular season, um, which, you know, I think is, it's hard when you, <laughs> when you show the data to, to argue with that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think that Zach is a guy that, from a scoring perspective, he does have so many ways to hurt you that if you take away one thing, he's got the next thing. And uh, so I am looking forward to, you know, knock on wood that uh, <laughs> that the the Bulls continue to to play really well and, and are a playoff team and and for my own sanity are are not a play in team because uh, I don't know if I <laughs> I don't know if I can handle the stress of <laughs> a single elimination uh, winner go home game, but. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think he's. If the Bulls are able to get there, uh, I think he will be fairly robust um, in the playoffs, just because of his skill set. Uh, and like you said, it'll, it'll, if he's not able to to perform in a, in an individual game, I think it'll mostly be uh, an off shooting night thing, and not something where the defense is actually uh, able to to take away everything from him. Right. Yeah. Um, so I think um, one of the things that I, I wanted to ask you, you know, I think you mentioned that you think this will be his peak season. I think given his age and um, all of that, I, that, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, also, just this is, um, you know, the most talent he's, he's had around him uh, pretty much ever. <laughs> uh, I mean, the, some of those Wolves teams that he was on were talented. They were just really young. Uh, but um, in terms of talent and talent that's ready to win now, I think it, it's inarguable that uh, this is the best team Zach's ever been on. Um, but in terms of his avenues for improvement um, going forward, is there anything that's still kind of low hanging to you that, that he could really realistically get better at? Or do you think that like, uh, it's more just maintaining where he's at. Yeah. I mean, you always want to say like, there's more. Um, and I think plenty of players historically have gone over their athletic peak and then kind of added shooting, added passing reads. Um, they've, they've created, gotten more guile or craftier on defense. So I think it's possible like later in his career, um, depending on how things break, that he becomes a better defender if there's a more specialized situation. But, th- you know, the thing I think that's challenging with him to say like, oh, I think he's going to keep getting better versus kind of we're we're right at peak La- Zach Levine. And I, I do think we're coming up right here on peak Zach Levine this year. He's a slender frame guy. And it was really hard for me to think of comps or other players or instances where 
guys that didn't have a broad frame could continue to find way to really ex- like meaningfully expand their offense. And in Zach's case, he's already a great shooter. So it's not one of those things where I think his shooting is going to just continue to improve and like offset athletic decline. Um, so I, I do think we're essentially at his peak, um, at least realistically. And I, I think he's done such a good job. Like a great example is the the step back with that sharp footed step, which is probably more fierce than maybe anyone I can ever think of at that. I have a couple clips of it in the video, but it's just his, his North South quickness and how hard he plants. And the fact that he likes to plant it inside the three point line. I mean, I don't know how many more skills like that you could add, like specialized skills that unlock a little something in your game. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's certainly not low hanging fruit at this point is my point. Like maybe, maybe he comes up with another one, but uh, I, I think he's done a really good job, frankly, over the last five seasons to develop what he's got now. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm greedy. So I'm, <laughs> I was like, how can he get better? I mean, I think uh, probably his weakest point as a, as a, uh, offensive uh, players, uh, and you you get into this is that vanilla playmaker uh, stuff, and yeah. I think that uh, that Billy has done some creative things to uh, to help Zach with that. Like one of the things, again, you mentioned it in the video, is that he he in pick and roll especially, but in general, like his his first and a lot of the times only read b- besides try to score is to uh, look at the big man <laughs> on yep. the roll. And uh, when he does a pick and roll in the middle of the floor, often that gets him in trouble because there's a lot of hands in there. So Billy has done um, a lot of, uh, or, or gotten them to use uh, empty side pick and roll with Zach and Vooch to basically clear out all the, all the other guys that can get their hands in there. And it just makes the reads really simple for Zach. Um, if he can, you know, develop a little bit better uh, passing um, and, and even just anticipation on uh, some of those, I, I think that that would be the only area that I realistically think he could get better at, but I don't, you have a lot more um, historical understanding of, how often guys really do get better at that um, and whether, you know, what the odds are there. But, uh, you know, I think for me, the the thing that I, I like about Zach is if there's a possibility that he could get better at that, um, I think he will because he is just mm. that kind of worker. Um, yeah. I think just even getting a third guy involved in that action, like last night, I want to say in the first quarter, I think it was the first half, um, it jumped out to me because there were almost no instances of it going through film study. Like he had a pick and roll, I want to say in the middle of the floor. And it wasn't like a massively changing side skip pass. He that's obviously a weakness of his, but he mm-hmm. was kind of in, he was in the middle of the floor and instead of hitting the big, uh, he swung it to the corner and something like that, where you can just get comfortable hitting a third guy, whether it's the shaker that, that guy that comes off the corner and lifts up, um, to above the arc when there's kind of like a corner man with the pick and roll um, yep. or or just a spot up guy. Either of those situations, just being able to hit a third man, I think would add a decent amount of value to his pick and roll game. It's, you know, there's a there's also a clock on this because he's such a great athlete. Like, can we expect him to attack the rim the way he does when he's 30 or 31? Probably not historically. Yeah. Um, but I do think that's another area where he could add a little value. And and it's one of those things where I go through the videos like this. I turn on the game sometimes and I'm like, ooh, I, 
I didn't see that. Is this a new thing that's coming in 2022? <laughs> um, so yeah, maybe something like that. Yeah, and then the the one other thing um, that I um, I've noticed that he hasn't done it a ton, um, but I, he's gone to it. I think uh, a little bit more frequently this year is uh, when he gets a smaller guard on him. He has been going into the the mid post more frequently. He he's done it. I think. I've called it out whenever I've seen it on Twitter. I think he's, I, I've seen him do it at least three times. And I think he had uh, 10 post-ups all of last year. Um, and he had like three, I think, in the first couple of games. And so that I, I have my eye on that as something that he might have uh, been uh, in the lab, as they say, uh, working on. And I think that could be interesting for him. Um, you know, I don't, when DeMar is not on the floor, especially just because DeMar, you know, that's where he lives is in that uh, mid range space. But as Zach does um, lose some of his burst uh, as he ages, you know, that was, that was the, the, the track that, um, you know, not to compare Zach to Michael Jordan, but Michael Jordan was a very first step uh, explosive guy early in his career. And as he aged, that was kind of um, how he got close to the basket and still was able to draw fouls and things like that was just going to that mid post and, um, you know, going to work. And that's where DeMar <laughs> does a lot of damage. And so I, I think that that'll be interesting to watch. Um, so, Cause right now I think he's only been doing it on smaller guards that he feels comfortable that he's uh, got a strength advantage or a size advantage on. Uh, but I, I'm interested to keep, to keep my eye on that. I wonder if it's one of those osmosis things too, where yeah. just like being around DeRozan and starting to pick it up or even explicitly, in practice, oh, okay, I like to put my leg here and dip my shoulder here. And then you like, oh, okay, I'm going to add that to my game this year if it's one of those things. Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me, to be honest, because Zach does seem to be, um, at least when it comes to skill development, I think he's a, he's a fairly quick study um, because just because of the, the sheer number of things that he's added in his game over the years. Um, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if it's something like that. Um, and uh you know, I, I think Demar as a uh, you know mentor <laughs> for Zach would be really great because um, you know on a surface level, Zach is obviously an elite shooter and uh, from deep, and that was never really part of Demar's game. Uh, although he's shooting pretty well on limited number of attempts so far this year, but I don't anticipate that that'll <laughs> that, that'll maintain. Uh, but who knows? Um, but just in terms of a guy that again also has gotten better seemingly. Um, every year and really like has gotten better as he's gotten older, you know, for DeMar to have developed as much as he has as a playmaker um, as as he's gone over the, the 30 years old uh, Hill, um, you know, that is not something I don't think that is usual. Um, You could correct me again, if I'm wrong about that, because you you know, the historical trends uh, a bit better than I do. Uh, But um, yeah, I mean, if he's picking things up from DeMar, that, that would, that would not surprise me at all. Yeah, I wouldn't call it entirely unusual, but off the top of my head, because I explicitly looked at wings developing a couple years ago, um, DeMar oh, does that have, post. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a, a nylon calculus piece. And I want to say off the top of my head, DeMar is one of the guys who's made from kind of where he was in his early 20s to five, six, seven, eight years out, one of the bigger kind of progressions as a playmaker. And I think you see that in the X's and O's and in film and things like that. So 
you know, it's one of those things where you wouldn't be shocked if Levine continues to add in that area. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah. 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 I mean, I think DeMar like had a reputation as, as kind of a black hole early in his career. And to go from that to the kind of um, some of the, the reads that he makes now, uh, it's uh, it's a pretty big difference. Pretty stark, I think. His his like, I don't know if it's just small sample early season or if it's the officiating changes. One of the things I see in the officiating changes, which I love, by the way, in the early season, <laughs> Then I'm not sure. I'm not sure how much it's going to it's going to hold up because you know it is debatable whether it's a defensive foul. But one of the things they've been very liberal with allowing is when a penetrator gets an angle, you know, like meaning you get half a step or you get your shoulder inside of the defender's hips. Then that contact, they allow a tremendous amount of contact from the defense. So essentially, what the foul would be on the defender in those situations, as you're still driving, is they're pushing you either with their body, their hips, their chest, and they push the uh, offensive player off balance. They've allowed a lot of that. Yeah. that it, so my my weird thought watching the game last night, especially late when Demar got hot, is like his style of mid range game. Does that get more valuable it, instead of trying to get to the cup in those situations? If it's harder to finish, does him just like cooking dudes from twelve feet at forty eight percent? Is that just a massive value add all of a sudden in the way the game is officiated? Or is it just like a fluky sample of games? Well, I'm keeping my fingers crossed that that uh, <laughs> that it, it's the, the, the former. Because right. that would be good news for, for, for my bulls. <laughs> but, I mean, it uh, looks good. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, that's the other thing. It's like, uh, I, I know that a lot of the old heads, uh, they, they complain about... Um, the the lack of mid-range shots in the game and you know i will often um yell into the void about that because uh, as you well know uh the the disappearance of the mid-range is the disappearance of catch and shoot shots for role players uh guys like um damar that that cook in the mid-range star players they still get those same uh off the dribble shots uh at more or less the same rates that they always have uh just because uh that's kind of a lot of the times all you can get from a defense if they're playing well. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, if it becomes that much more difficult to get to the rim um, and, and to, to finish at the rim, then yeah, I think that it, it um, DeMar's uh, mid range, uh, you know, 48% that he can get it's what it, it seems like almost he can get that shot whenever he wants. Uh, right. That would be pretty valuable. Um, and I mean, we've seen it be valuable in, in these first uh, seven games. So, um, so I, I think to close, I, um, if you have enough time for this one, uh, I, I know it's a big topic, but so oh boy. here we go. <laughs> um, the, the question that I, and I think a lot of Bulls fans have around Zach in terms of his perception around the league is um how he's viewed and how you view him, not necessarily how everybody else views him. I'm asking you, uh, in the, in the group of Donovan Mitchell, uh, Devin Booker, Bradley Beal, and, uh, Jamal Murray, who are all guys I kind of group with Zach in terms of what they're good at. Um, you know, style of play, you know, it, it, obviously there are some variations here. Uh, but in terms of just being scoring guards that, uh, have, maybe not the highest reputations defensively, um, but 
can provide a lot of value um, on the ball and in, in most cases off the ball as well. How do you view Zach among that group? And, you know, are they all kind of in the same tier for you or, or, or what are the sort of, um, if, if not, uh, what are the differences? I think last year I had Zach behind them. If I recall, I, I do a sub all-stars podcast. I think I had him in the sub all-stars and I think I had all those other guys as all-stars. I, I do think they're pretty similar um, there's all, there's a lot of caveats, including with Zach, if I were to go through that group, because people do ask me like, how, who would I rather have from those guys? Mitchell, let me, let me try to be brief. Mitchell has had a, a high end gear when his like pull up jumpers working in the playoffs the last two years that borders on transcendent, but I have no idea if that's sustainable. Um, Murray, like bubble jamal murray hello <laughs> what what one of my one of my favorite players ever to watch for like three weeks um mm-hmm. is is that a thing can 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 he get back to like 90 percent of that level does he need to play in empty gyms uh what will he look like when he's coming back from his injury so he has a massive amount of question marks because i think in the regular season he's certainly like all these guys are certainly in really similar ballparks um I have some questions still just because I never get around to watching it close enough about Beal. He seems like he would have the skill set that in a way would make him arguably the best of the group. And yet there's part of me that wonders if he's the worst of the group, um, <laughs> especially with defensive shortcomings. Yeah, and, I'm, on, I'm on team Bradley Beal is a little overrated uh, yeah. or, or a lot overrated, depending on uh, who you're asking, because I, I think ESPN's top 100 rank that they did had him 11th in the league. And that is oh, wow. insane to me. Oh, yeah. wow. You know, that, that's, that's that to me, that's the wrong tier. Um, and then Booker Booker obviously got a lot of shine with the, with the playoff run, but I mean, he's, he's kind of in this, he and Zach in a way, there's some similarities Booker. Maybe it's more shot making um, just sort of expanding his tough shot making. And I think one of the things he did exceptionally well uh, starting like two years ago was just expand his off ball game and translate some of what the, what the Suns had when they were a disaster compared to another team, right? Going back to the beginning of our discussion, bringing in guys and just, Hey, we don't win 20 games anymore. We're like, we're competitive. We have Ricky Rubio. We have Aaron Baines. Like we can actually play, uh, maybe back when Aaron Baines could play the young, the young listeners might not know that Aaron Baines was once a, once a goat candidate. <laughs> 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 he has he has his own fan club online uh, somehow some way. <laughs> um, so that's a, that's all a really long way to say. I think I think recently I've had Zach behind those guys, but I think this year, especially in the regular season, like because I think all those question marks about the playoffs exist. I I see them absolutely in similar tiers, and I think it's an interesting question as we move forward. Um, whether some of the things we discussed today and some of the things I brought up in his video about his game, actually at the end of the year, you come back and at least if you're asking me, you say, no, I'd rather have Zach than two or three of those guys because of all these skills that seem to fit really well. And because when you get into a playoff environment, he is trustworthy. And because when you put him on a good team, he can exert more on defense and he's expanded his defensive awareness and responsibilities, yada, yada, yada. So um, that's, that's, I think that's my answer for now. Did I do okay? I think so. So I want to I want to give my my best pitch for for Zach as uh, okay. Go for a, it. The, as the, the best of, of the group? group. Okay. All right. Um, and, and granted, granting all that, you you can't um, say that he's you know you can't compare him in the postseason because we haven't seen it yet. But I think based on some of the discussion that we had earlier, 
uh, around how difficult it would be to shut Zach off completely in the playoffs, just because of how diverse his ability to score is and how sort of robust it is with counters. Um, I, I feel pretty confident that he will be uh, to not decline that much uh, in the playoffs um, on offense. So when you look at Zach's uh, combination of volume and efficiency, um, he's way better than any of those guys. It's true. Um, yep. And he's basically in the ballpark of Stephen Curry and, you know, uh, Kevin Durant when it comes to that. And I think Zach did that last year on a team that he was the, really the only uh, option that teams had to stop and they still couldn't do it. Um, he was, you know, unstoppable. I don't, I don't think Zach's a very good playmaker, but I also don't think Bradley Beal or Devin Booker or Jamal Murray um, are particularly special playmakers either. Um, yeah, Donovan Mitchell. Exactly. You stopped, you stopped before Mitchell, which I was wondering if you're going to include him. Cause I actually think that's part of the rub, that extra gear that makes him interesting, right? Like when he's going yeah. like that, then he does carve up the defense and he can play that true, like, offensive one carry you in the playoff series kind of gear mm -hmm. um murray's probably more of a question mark but keep keep going because i think you're making the right kind of case for why he would be ahead of some of those other guys and the fact that he's just a different kind of scorer than most of them yep uh so i think mitchell is is maybe a better passer but that's or, or maybe a better playmaker for his teammates but i think some of that is um he's had Rudy Gobert his whole career to dislodge guys on screens and to get downhill uh, in a way that Zach really hasn't. Um, and I also the screen, see the screen assist. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yes. The very famous screen assist. And I think that uh, Donovan can get pretty wild with his passes. I mean, he, I think he had a bunch of terrible turnovers against the bulls when the bulls just beat them. Um, and you know, that's a one game. Ooh, he sample. struggled. Yeah, no, he struggled in that game. Yeah. Um, and so I think, I think that Zach is more consistent than, than, uh, Donovan. And again, like you can't say, say for certain that it'll happen in the playoffs. Um, and Donovan has had some incredible playoff performances. So I I'll grant that. Um, but I, I think that that's, uh, you know, and, and defensively, I think that Zach is better than Bradley Beal. Um, I think he's, uh, I think it's hard to disentangle Mitchell's defense, uh, defense from uh, Rudy Gobert being behind him. But I think I would actually take Zach ahead of him uh, mm. defensively. Uh, I think that Donovan is pretty poor at the point of attack and Zach can be, but I, I think that I slightly prefer Zach's defense there. Um, Booker, I don't think is a good defender. <laughs> like I, I mean, he's, he's gotten better. His efforts gotten better and it was definitely uh, pretty solid in the playoffs. Um, but it, maybe, maybe he's around the same tier as, as Zach. Um, he's got, the he's same also, he's also your, tools. right. And I think he's also like, if you're trying to make the case, I think he's also your exemplar because mm -hmm. He's someone, you know, similar group, similar age, similar comps, um, even though they play differently. And then they're coming from teams that have had really poor kind of results and been losing teams for a while. And then you put adults in the room around them and they get into the playoffs and you can see effort and engagement ramp up in other areas. And yeah, I, I, I agree in that I probably think let's let's phrase it this way i think if you get into the playoffs and you saw the version of what happened with booker last year happen in chicago 
I would mm-hmm. think Zach has a higher defensive ceiling. That's how yeah. I'd phrase it. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I maybe Zach, maybe you still take Donovan Mitchell ahead of him. Um, I'm a little bit of a Donovan Mitchell hater, even though he has had some really amazing, <laughs> amazing performances in the playoffs. Um, and I, Jamal Murray is one of my favorite players to watch, uh, like outside of players exactly. on the Bulls. Yeah. But um, I think just in terms, like, I, I think Zach has got to be in the top half of that group for me. Um, now he's got to prove it, obviously, in the playoffs, and he'll, I think, get a chance to do that this year. But um, that's my case. Uh, does that move you at all? <laughs> I, I think I think you've moved me in a way that like it's anytime you have a group of players and this came up with the NBA 75th anniversary team. Anytime you have a group of players that has like flaws or warts or a kind of extreme things going on in their style, it can be very difficult with where you draw the boundary around their value, both positive and negative. And so I think what you've moved me on is that especially in the regular season, but hopefully we'll get a better playoff sample with basically all of these guys this year. You could make arguments almost to order them in any different way. Now, would that be the most likely takeaway based on what we've seen for me? Probably not yet. Um, but it is an interesting group and in that I think you could reasonably kind of reshuffle them against each other and end up with a different guy at the top, depending on the perspective you take. So I think you've done a good job in that sense of um, selling me at least on your I don't even want to call it homerism. It's it's we need a we need a better word. We need a better word. <laughs> I, I think I'm being t- optimism. totally objective. <laughs> yeah, optimism. Yeah. No, I, I appreciate that. Um well I, I've uh occupied uh more of your time than I said I would. So I'm gonna uh, I think we'll we'll close it there. But Ben, uh thank you uh very much for, for joining me and for making the this that Zach Levine video, which everybody should go check out um, on uh, Ben's uh, YouTube channel, Thinking Basketball. Subscribe to that if you're not already. What are you doing? Um, and Ben, t- tell the tell the people where else they can they can find you. Patreon.com/slash/ThinkingBasketball is where I have uh, all my kind of like paywall extra content um, data that we publish throughout the season. Uh, Very online. worth it, by the way. Thank you. Our 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 live in-season stat board is about to go up. Um, it's already, but you know, like everyone in the league has played like seventy-two minutes, and it feels weird <laughs> to <laughs> like get people w- wigged out by numbers after it's such a short sample. Um, so we do that. We do a live Q and A. That's that's mostly it. Yeah, that and the YouTube channel. I have a podcast, but. I mean, I gotta, I gotta remember to record that thing. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> the podcast is also excellent. Uh, if you liked Ben on on this one, it. I mean, chances are, if you're listening to this, you probably already listened to Thinking Basketball because, uh, frankly, Ben's audience is a lot bigger than <laughs> Dennis Podman at this point. But um, Ben, thanks again for for coming on and uh, have a good day. Thanks, Kevin. Appreciate it.